he explains that we, when we pursue happiness indirectly, which means we pursue the things that bring happiness, then we achieve inner happiness. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Rabbi G. Welcome everyone back to the podcast. Great to be posting again. Hope everyone had a meaningful Passover, meaningful Pesach. And let's continue the discussion. So a few weeks ago, we spoke about happiness and we spoke about this idea of pursuit of happiness. And Rabbi Levy made a very good point, which was that if you pursue happiness, you don't actually achieve happiness because pursuit of happiness means I'm pursuing something for me. And self-absorption and being obsessed with self doesn't actually bring happiness. So I discovered that Tal Ben-Shachar, a renowned author and psychologist, actually speaks about this in his recent book called Happy All the Time. And he he coins the phrase, the paradox of happiness. And he cites research that the pursuit of happiness actually doesn't bring happiness. So how do we achieve happiness, therefore, is obviously the question. And he explains that when we pursue happiness indirectly, which means we pursue the things that bring happiness, then we achieve inner happiness. And Tal Ben-Shachar develops this formula of five areas of well-being to achieve happiness, to pursue, which will bring happiness, and that is what he calls the spire, S-P-I-R-E, spiritual well-being, physical well-being, intellectual well-being, relational well-being, and emotional well-being. And the first one he discusses is this concept of spiritual well-being, which I want to talk about a little bit. And spiritual well-being, he says, is the concept of finding meaning and purpose in what we do. Um, to give you an illustration, he, one of the studies he quotes is a beautiful uh, study where researchers gathered together janitors who were working in a hospital building and asked them about their job. And it turned out there were three areas, three groups of people. There were those that found it just, called it just a job, meaning something they hated doing, just wanted to get through the day, but they had no choice because they needed to make a living. The second group actually saw it more as a career, meaning they were interested in promotion. So they were more enthusiastic to work what they were doing each day in the hope that they would maybe be promoted to becoming a manager of a team or something even greater at a later stage. But then there was the third group who actually saw what they were doing as a calling. They believed correctly so, that by being a janitor in a hospital building, they were saving lives because the doctors were doing their part, but the building needs to be clean and hygienic, and therefore they were participating in that overall mission of helping other people, which is correct and beautiful. And of course, that's what it means to have a meaning in what you do, a meaning in life, which of course ultimately brings a feeling of contentment and a feeling of inner happiness. But then Tal Ben-Shahar goes and he makes the following comment, and he says, based on Viktor Frankl's work, but there are two things. There's the meaning of life and the meaning in life. So meaning of life is a much more broader question and more complex one. It's about what is the meaning of life, what is our value system, what's the purpose of existence, why are we here, why was the world created, and so on and so forth, which to answer those questions or to get some connection to these questions, you need some sort of religious belief. Of course, in, in, in the uh, Jewish world, we, we have the concept of our Torah, the moral compass, our ethical code, our moral code a code of conduct between uh, people, between man and man, our interpersonal relationships, and so on and so forth. 
So he says that when he talks about spiritual well-being, that's not necessary. What's more necessary is the meaning in life, just to find a purpose and a calling in what we do each day. Which probably is correct to some degree that one finds some level of happiness just by being enthusiastic and passionate and enjoying what we do each day because we find it that it's a calling, we're helping someone, providing a service, or whatever it might be. But I'd like to provide for you the, or suggest to you the JP, the Jewish perspective in all of this. And while he might not be wrong, but I think it's limited, and I think it's so much deeper and broader if we combine both sorts of meanings. In other words, every person needs values. We need the meaning of life. And we need that value system, and we need to pause every so often to think about and reflect what are our value system, what is our value codes, what's our ethical code, what is morality for us, why are we living, what's our overall mission in terms of how we live the entire life experience. And then, of course, we need to focus on each day separately. Mindful living is a big part of spiritual wellness and spiritual well-being. But I think if, when we wake up in the morning and everything that we do, including our job, our career, our parenting, is inspired by and guided by and driven by our overall purpose. In other words, our meaning in life is guided and driven by, by our meaning of life. Then the depth, the inner contentment, the feeling of inner happiness is so much deeper and so much broader when we live like that. So let's try and not just have meaning in life, but reflect on our meaning of life and combine the two, that the meaning of life each and every day inspire the meaning in life. That's my opening message. So Rabbi Levy, we haven't heard from you for a while. All right, everyone. It's great to be back. Um, so discussing the difference between meaning in life and meaning of life. Um, I just want to sort of elaborate on that a little bit, what my thoughts were when he hearing you talk about it. Um, how meaning in life basically means that there's only meaning within this world, there's nothing beyond this world, in other words. When you say there's meaning of life, that means that there's a, a, a creator who transcends the creation, who is the creator who made the creation, and he did that for a reason, and that is the meaning of creation, and that is the meaning of every individual life as well. But in order to have that, you need to have something outside of the world. What, what he's saying so is... So saying because, have... because it's a higher purpose. Correct, it's higher. Beyond just what we see in front of us. What we see in front of us and what we're living through currently. If you have meaning in life, it means what I'm living through currently is really all there is. There's nothing outside of it. It's just I have to... And, and, and besides the fact that that's just incorrect, obviously, because we believe that there's a creator and the creator gave us a moral code. We call that the Torah and the Mitzvot and, and, and all of that. Um, and that is the ultimate meaning of life. And as you said, that then gives us meaning in life as well. Also, if you think about it, if you only have meaning in life, it's sort of not really real. You, know, it's, it's, you have to make it. You have to, because if there's nothing outside of this world that's dictating what real meaning is and what real values are, so it's really what I decide the meaning is, that's what it is. I, I have to actually infuse my life with meaning. It's not coming from anywhere else other than me. That's great. In other words, what you're saying is you almost have to justify the meaning. Correct. So, for example, if I own a, um, a chocolate factory, and that's my job, um, I need to be able to rationalize and to sort of explain why that's such an important service and find a calling in that. Right. And even if I do find the calling, and even if you do something even more valuable than that or, or more virtuous than that, 
um, and you, but at the end of the day, who says that calling is good? Who decided that this and this is good? And obviously, even if you go even deeper, ultimately, who decided what's good and bad in general? Right? You know, is, is it if, if if it's all decided by the human beings who live within existence the way we know it, then it's not really real. It's just decided. Um, the meaning of life, if you believe in a meaning of life, which means it's something outside of our reality, which decided that we should exist and gave us, and, and for a reason, and, 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 and that reason is the meaning, then there's actually truth. And ultimately, I do think that in order for someone to be happy, it has to be real. If, if there's nothing else beyond the here and now, and, you know, we're alive for what? You know, 100 years, hopefully, whatever it is, 120, as we say in, in, in Judaism. But that's a very small amount of time, and that's not a lot, actually. But, you know, that, that's, that's, that's not, that's very, it's almost insignificant if you think about it in the grander scheme of things and how big the universe is and how long the universe has been going and how long it will go for. If you believe there's something outside who created this and gives it meaning, that everything that I do is not just about the here and now. It's, it's about it's everything. It it's, it's contributes to the entire existence that was, that is, and that will be. So, I mean, that ties into the whole discussion about the difference between subjective morality and absolute morality, right? right? And Rabbi Sachs, in his book, Morality, I think, discusses this as well, that it's very limited. I mean, I think we need to recognize the finiteness of our own existence. And it's very liberating and, in fact, very happiness-inducing, I think, to know that we have an opportunity to connect to something way beyond, way more infinite than, than we are. And as Rabbi Sachs explains in his book, that m m the real way of living in a moral way cannot come from within the people who have to live that way. It needs to come from a force outside of that system. It cannot, the system cannot create its own morality. Right. Because then it's subjective and it changes and it can be distorted. But yeah, so bes besides for that fact that it could be distorted and... It's, also, can, uh, it's also very limited. It's also right. very finite. Right. And therefore it needs a power greater than the system, which we call God, to look from afar, so to speak, from a distance, in other words, and be able to look at the bigger picture and create a truth, which is the absolute morality, yeah. which is what we live by. I think that's true, again, on, on a practical sense, that if, if morality is decided by human beings, so who's to decide that tomorrow human beings, and as we know in history, human beings have decided that a lot of terrible things are moral and good. Uh, I mean, us Jewish people, we know that the best. Uh, people persecuted us, and they claimed that that was moral um, and good for society. Right? Obviously, that was totally distorted. So having a God ensures that there's one morality and that's eternal and that's what's good. But also, I think, from, just from a happiness point of view, like I think if you actually know that what you're doing counts, really counts, not only counts here and now, but counts forever and for all of eternity, that's a very, very powerful, powerful message. But on the other hand, I think what's also true is that you can't, and I think you have a good phrase that, that you'll, you'll, um, you'll remind what it is, you can't only live for the grand scheme of things. I think if you're constantly thinking about that what I'm doing now is, is not really relevant now. It's about the general picture. It also, I think there always, there always has to be the specific picture. The, the now as well is also important. So that's very true. So first of all, a couple of things with that. Number one, um, I always use this phrase that, you know, mindful living, living in the moment is very important. But you have to, you have to connect it with the bigger picture, as you said before. And the phrase I, used, I like to use always is you've got to live in the moment, but not right. for the moment. That's right, that's what it was. Big difference between living in the moment and for the moment. Living for the moment means that the biggest scheme doesn't count at all. I'll just live for, for today. What happened yesterday, what happened tomorrow, I couldn't care less. It, I just, I live for now. Have a good time today kind of thing. Um, we don't do that. We, we live for a higher purpose. And if we, but, but the way we do is we live in the moment. 
The way I like to describe it actually is with the following idea, and it's connected with the time of the year that we're in. Yeah. We're currently in a time known in the Jewish calendar as the Omer, where we're given a period of personal growth. And the way that works in, in, in halachic terms is from the second day of Pesach all the way to the festival of Shavuot, we count 49 days, called the Sfirata Omer. And what's interesting is that in this mitzvah of counting each day, we count one day, the first day, the second day, the third day, and so on, there's a big, a well-known halachic debate, which we're not going to go into the halachic um, consequences of that or ramifications, but rather than a lesson, but the debate goes like this. The counting of the 49 days, is it one mitzvah? In other words, one collective mitzvah. You only do one mitzvah when you count all 49 days. Or is each day a separate independent mitzvah? So it's the mitzvah to count the first day, the second day, the third day, irrespective of the other days. Each day, it's a mitzvah to count that day. And I've always thought that the lesson we can learn from this debate, without going into the technicalities of it, is that both are true. In other words, life is one big mitzvah. I mean, in other words, on one hand, there's, there's an overall purpose, as we said before. There's a mission statement. There's a values that drive my entire life experience. There's a, a vision, what I want to achieve when I leave this planet, right? I think uh, Stephen Covey uh, talks about writing your own eulogy. Like, what do you want people to say yeah. about you? That you made a lot of money or you, or you had a lot to eat? Or, do they want, or you want them to describe your good values at the end when you leave this place, right? So that's like kind of a mission statement, a life purpose, a life goal. And in the context of our discussion, a higher purpose, a higher goal. But at the same time, we have to always remember also that the mitzvah is every single day. Every day is a separate mitzvah because we cannot get bogged down or trapped in the yesterday. We cannot be defined by the baggage of yesterday or by the worries of tomorrow. That's where mindful living comes in. We do need to look at each day separately and say, I wake up in the morning, my question has to be not that I failed yesterday, what's going to be tomorrow, can I achieve my whole life mission, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. My question has to be, how do I make today count? How do I make today a deeper existence? In other words, how do I make today fit into my overall mission, but without worrying about, did I do my mission, did I achieve my mission yesterday or next week or last month? So that's how those two things come together. Right. It's interesting because in a way, they're two opposites. Because what we're saying, and it's, it's, it's interesting because we say that before I make a decision, a, a moral choice, I need to know that it's not only the here and now that my choice is going to affect, this is going to affect everything. Every good deed that a person does is a spiritual explosion. And every not good deed that a person does is damage done to the world, physically, spiritually. You know, There's a sort of spiritual damage. On the other hand, I have to know that if I did something wrong, the next day that shouldn't, that shouldn't hold me back from, from you know, like saying, well, I basically ruined my life and I've, I've ruined the world, so what's the point now? Right? So that's where the here and now comes in. No, I have to focus on today. Like, how do you sort of reconcile both together? What's sort of the, 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 the method for doing that? So that, that's, a, that's... Like what I'm doing counts, but then tomorrow I have to say what I did yesterday doesn't count for today. Yes, that's, that's a, a really important discussion. And I think actually that's where... There are two things that come into this which are really important. And that's where, by the way, Jewish mindfulness differs a little bit from secular mindfulness. Because um, not everything is always in line with Jewish thinking. I mean, mindfulness is a great model. But in literature mindfulness, you often learn about this moment is the only moment. Um, right? And while that's true to some degree, but it's not true completely. Because when we make decisions, you're right, number one, we have to learn from yesterday. Yeah. And we have to consider the impact on tomorrow. Right? So we consider the future and we learn from the past, but we're not defined by the past or 
defined by the future. That's number one. Number two, we have a brilliant concept in Judaism, which is a fantastic idea, called Shiva. Right. So we actually, the reason that we're not defined by yesterday is not because yesterday doesn't count. Yesterday does count. And in fact, I have to take responsibility for yesterday. And there was damage. But and there was wrong. damage yeah. yesterday. And there was a failure. But it doesn't define today. So let me get on with today. And then I need to dedicate time to take care of yesterday. And I can do that because I can take responsibility. I can learn from yesterday. And I can repent and I can return. And in fact, spiritually speaking, we are taught the most amazing thing. that We can even transform the past. If we learn from the past and we use it as a catalyst for further growth, becoming a better person today, and we learn the lessons, we actually fix the past and transform the past. Um, the same thing with the future. I don't get bogged down with things I can't control in the future, but I do consider the future. I consider my actions. So those two things, it's, it's not, it's a complex issue, but those two things actually do come together. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. All right. I think that's uh, all for today. That's good. Great to be, great to be back doing this again. See you all next Thank week. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.